Acts chapter 3, verse 12, and Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon him, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who, who were of the high priest's family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you <clears throat> in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would speak uh, and that we would listen. Father, I come to you weak, needing your strength. I come to you afraid, needing your boldness. And so I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. So last week, Pastor Glenn preached about how the apostles had this new boldness, right? They appeared before the scribes, the rulers, and the Pharisees, and they were able to speak with boldness concerning the gospel, concerning the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so that was actually chapter uh, Acts 4 uh, and following verses 12. So we're actually going back, going backwards in the story and giving some more context as to what happened to uh, get the apostles to be arrested and to be before the scribes and the Pharisees. And we're going through, um, if, if you're new here at Grace Downtown, our ministry theme for the whole ministry year that began in September last month is the family of God. And so we're going to talk about how we as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ live as a family. And today, we're going to look at how are we tried and tested as the family of God. So let me ask you uh, this question. What do you do when, you're, when, you, when your faith in God is being tried and tested? Why does God allow people to suffer? Why does it seem like Jesus, after the resurrection and the ascension, abandoned his apostles in the book of Acts to be persecuted, to be arrested, um, 
and some even killed. I mean, all of them were killed, and so all of them died, but some were, some martyred, some were killed because of their faith. So uh, in previous years, I had a skeptics group. And in this skeptics group, there was a young lady uh, who is a Buddhist. And she was a Buddhist, and her husband uh, was an atheist, is an atheist. And we were sitting down in the church office talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, why, uh, why Christ had to come. And I talked about how Adam and Eve sinned in the, in the beginning, and they ate the forbidden fruit. And because they disobeyed God, sin uh, passed on to everybody. So we inherit um, Adam's sin. And so the, the young lady, she asked this question. She said, well, if Jesus uh, loves the world so much, if God so loved the world, then why did Jesus wait so long to save humanity? Why wasn't Jesus E's baby? And I was just like, wow, <laughs> never thought about that. What a, what a great question, right? Like if Jesus, if God loves the world and God wants to save humanity, you would think God would spare us thousands upon thousands of years of all this suffering, all this evil. And I believe the answer is actually reflected in Rex Doherty's uh, blog. Anybody had a chance to read Rex's blog? Okay, some of us. I'm going to, uh, Rex Doherty is one of our members. He's also our current artist and resident. He is a director, a playwright, an actor, um, and he writes about really how Christian art is really, a, a lot of times is bad. Uh, but I'm not going to get into that, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to read his quote. I, I think this answers this young lady's question about why wasn't Jesus his baby? This is what Rex says. He says, we need to sit inside emotions, uncomfortably and without answers. It's understandable that humans tend to avoid awkward and difficult emotions, favoring whatever route gets us out of that vulnerable place as quickly as possible, as quickly as possible because duh, those situations are terrible to experience. But actors are different. They live to be inside the drama. Actors are students of these terrible experiences because we know that the power of raw emotion is something that you cannot look away from. I dare you not to cry when Tom Hanks, in, in the moment Forrest Gump finds out that he, asks, he has a son, asks this question, is he smart or is he just like me? We crave this emotional intensity, not only as mass spectators, but if we're honest with ourselves, we want to experience those moments in life as participants. Despite how fast we flee from the ever appearing emotionally weak, the thing we most desire is to be intimate and vulnerable with another human being. This is the very thing artists are trained to do as artists and as actors we sit inside the tears and the joy. We reflect humanity. So why wasn't Jesus Eve's baby to deliver Adam and Eve from sin and to save humanity of thousands of years of suffering? I believe because in order for God to bring us into perfect fellowship, to have that intimacy that we all long for, 
He decided to reveal himself as a God who was present in our suffering, a God who sits inside our tears and our joys, a God who delivers his people from slavery, a God who makes a way out of no way, a God who desires to be intimate with us when we are at our worst, a God who reveals himself in broken families, broken marriages, broken friendships, And as the greatest artist, God not only sits inside our tears and joys, but God uh, uh, becomes the art that he desires to save. God incarnates himself as a human being and literally empathizes with us from within. He knows exactly how we suffer and how we go through difficult times because he wouldn't be a faithful high priest who could sympathize in our weaknesses. And so the reason why uh, Jesus was an Eve's baby and the reason why God, uh, uh, we have all of these thousands of years is so that we can get to know the character of God. It takes time to build the relationship. And so after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. In the black church, there's a common refrain and it's, can I get a witness? Has anybody ever heard that, can I get a witness? And what that basically means is, can I get somebody to agree with me? Can I, can I, is there somebody alive in the room? You know what I'm saying? Are, are, are we awake? Can I get a witness? And so can I get a witness? This, this is a, uh, can someone testify on my behalf? Can someone agree with me? Can I get an amen uh, out there? I know Chrissy just came in. She's the amen. She's my amen corner. Amen. So calling for a witness, that's a communal activity. Right? When the, when, in the black church, when the, when the preacher gets into the sermon, and the preacher talks about the truths of God, and the preacher says, can I get a witness? And someone either stands up or uh, somebody says amen or, you know, and someone says basically, yes, amen, I am with you. And so Jesus is looking for witnesses. He's looking for an amen corner. And so when Jesus told his apostles to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, Jesus was asking his disciples to be a witness with him. Remember, Jesus left so that he can send his spirit. So when, uh, uh, when, when his disciples go out in the world to build this new church, they are not alone because they have God's spirit. And so we're going to look at four observations uh, in this passage. One, and these observations deal with why, why, you know, tell us something about being tried and tested. The first one is God prioritizes the ones who are suffering. Number two, happy beginnings can give way to tragic endings, and tragic beginnings can give way to happy endings. Number three, we are not tried and tested alone. And the, and the fourth observation, the good news of the gospel is this, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So number one, the first observation, God prioritizes the ones who are suffering. Peter and John, they, they direct their gaze to the lame beggar and, and, and they said to the beggar, look at us. Now, how many times have you walked uh, by someone who's homeless? 
How many times have you walked somebody who, who was hurting and in need without looking at them? And, you know, as Peter and John looked upon the beggar, they were showing that this person is a person of dignity. This person is a person worthy of being noticed. And there are many people walking in and out of the temple that day, and there are many people, I'm sure, that were hurting that day, but it was the lame beggar that Peter and John noticed. It was, it was the one who was suffering the most. God's people must look upon the ones in our midst who are suffering because God prioritizes the ones who are suffering. Amen. In Mark chapter 5, there was this woman who had a chronic uh, illness, and she had this pain and, uh, that, uh, that she could not get rid of. And Jesus, as he is walking through the crowd on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, this woman touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And I'm sure a lot of people were touching Jesus, but it was this woman. Her need was so great when she touched him, she, she knew that if I could just touch him, I would be healed. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus didn't die for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, the spiritually lame, the ones who have no power to be morally perfect and pure, the ones who naturally despise God and meet God with suspicion, the ones who are unable and unwilling to look at God for deliverance, for mercy, for grace, these are the ones God the Father sends his sons to die for, sinners like me and you. And so after Christ delivers us from the power of sin and spiritual death, we, we, we sign up, as the Bible says, in the highway of holiness. Uh, we sign up to, uh, to join the kingdom of God, and, and as we sign up to follow Jesus, we are marked by sufferings and trials and tests, and we are united to Christ in his resurrection as we suffer. And so uh, we must suffer when we, when we trust Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, that in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Your tests and trials are on account of Christ, not because you did something wrong, but it is because you did something right. You are sanctified as a child of God, and you are marked as special in God's sight. I'm going to give you a quick illustration. Uh, Julie McGowan Boyd, she's an author and nonprofit leader, and she tells the story of this woman, this single mother with two kids from Kenya named Betty. Now, Betty, uh, you know, she, she's a poor woman. Betty has HIV uh, AIDS. She doesn't know it, and she's suffering because of her HIV infection. And, and, and Julie, Julie tells the story of Betty laying down on her back in her mud hut, and she looks up at the sky, and she cries out to a God she doesn't know, Julie says. And she says, God, if you're real, restore me, and I'll live for you for the rest of my life. Or just let me, let me die. So she says, look, you either take me away, God, if you're real, or you restore me, and I will serve you for the rest of my life. And so after this, uh, this, this prayer, a friend advises her to go to this clinic, and Julie works at this clinic. And she ends up giving her medicines to, to combat the HIV infection. And while Betty is in this clinic, Julie and, and the rest 
of her team members are just showing her the love of Christ through simple acts of kindness. And, and they, they tell her about Jesus, but they really show her through how they live. And, she, and, and Betty eventually trusts in Christ. Now, she's still suffering, and she's praying for daily bread. And, 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 and afterwards, she leaves the clinic, and she's home. And Julie comes to visit to just check up on her to see how she's doing. And Betty looks Julie in the eye. And, and as they're talking about life and they're talking about God, Betty looks Julie in the eye and whispers something Julie said that she would never forget. Betty says with a whisper, I think I'm God's favorite. God loves the one who he tests because they are his favorites. Their tears are Christ's tears. Their pain is Christ's pain. Their lives are filled with the aroma of Jesus, who is the suffering servant. Observation two, happy beginnings can give way to tragic endings, and tragic beginnings can give way to happy endings. You know, when we're, when we're being tried and tested, we don't know where we are in the story, right? Uh, and, and, and we simply just need to be present in our circumstances because if we wish for better days or easier times, it could be misleading because we know the grass isn't green on the other side. Even if we have better days, then there are trials on those sides. Look, if you pray for success, if you pray for, Lord, give me a job, you get the job, and then you're like, man, my boss is, you know, getting on my nerve. And then you like, Lord, you know, give me a spouse. And then you pray for spouse, and you're like, the spouse is getting on my nerve. <laughs> and then you say, Lord, I, I want kids. Then when God gives you the kids, you're like, these kids are getting on my nerve. So there, there is, even with the good things, there's always opportunities for trials and tests. It's a part of life, because life is messy, amen? So after the lame beggar was healed, the crowd was filled with awe and wonder. So you have this happy beginning, right? This happy, you know, there's healing. He's leaping and jumping and skipping and praising God. And then they get arrested. Tragic. Tragic ending. And you would think that, you know, that the apostles would protest. They would like, look, we just did a good deed. Like, what are y'all doing? They, you know, they would be like, look, this is unjust. You know, they didn't protest. They just accepted their fate and they face their test head on. Now, I'm not saying that we should not pray for relief in the times of suffering and trials, but what I am saying is that we should, not, we should realize that our story is not finished. We don't have an ob objective view of our situation. And I'll prove it to you because the writer of Luke and Acts gives us an objective view. So you have the, tra you have the, 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 the happy beginning, there's healing, awe and wonder, boom, arrested. You would think, oh man, life sucks, you know? And then little do they know that about 2,000 men and really 15,000 women and children came to know Jesus Christ on account of Peter's sermon after the lame beggar was healed. They didn't know that. They were in jail. So uh, what I'm saying is you, we have no idea where we are in the story. God could use tragedy for, for beautiful ends, and God could, could take you down from, from the successes and beauty to a place of tragedy.
So in our tests and trials, we need to realize uh, uh, that every uh, tragedy can give way to joy, and every joy or success can give way to tragedy, so we hold them loosely. And, and we actually are more realistic. We just accept it for what they are. We, they keep us humble. They keep us genuine. We are not struck down and not destroyed. And then even when we are blessed, we are not naive to the fact that every blessing comes from God and is not our own doing. Look at the story of Job. Job had everything. God took it away from him, took away uh, his kids, took away his possessions, his money. And the Bible says, in Job chapter 1, Job, uh, after tearing his hair, because first of all, you got to be real. When you're suffering, it's all right to, it's all right to experience the, the emotion. It's all right to be upset, to cry, to scream, to do whatever you need to do, to let it all out. Job does this. And then Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gives, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the, the name of the Lord. Now you might say, Lord, my test seem harder than everyone else's. And it seems harder because it's your own, right? You are experiencing it uh, personally and individually. And because it's your own, that's why it's, 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 it's so heightened in your, in your purview. And so the goals and trials, uh, the reason why we're tested, the goal of the trial and testing is not to mitigate or lessen it but to go through it. Perfection says no suffering, but redemption says overcome suffering. And to overcome suffering, you gotta face it. Amy Medina, uh, she served as a missionary in East Africa for 16 years. She said this, missionary stories in a broken world rarely end with a happily ever after. Until the day when all things are made new, life will always be messy. And so in our trials, in our testing, we, we, we need to sit inside the tears. And we also need to sit inside the joys. We need to take it as God gives it because God is trying to teach us something. You know, a teacher gives a test, not, not because the teacher doesn't know the subject. The teacher gives the test so that the student can know the subject. God doesn't test us so that he can figure out what's going on. God tests us so that we can figure out how to trust him in the midst of the trial. Uh, my uh, third observation, we are not tried and tested alone. You see that Peter and John were not alone. They were together. And it's interesting because John doesn't say anything, right? Peter's, you know, Peter says to the lame person, look at us, Peter gives the sermon. And then they both get arrested. Now, have you ever been, you know, a, a co-conspirator, you know, to somebody who, like, they're the ones doing the stuff and you were just in the background and then you got lumped in with them? Has that ever happened to anybody? You know? Amen. Uh, it's all right. And so, you know how John feels in a sense, right? As John is, John, you know, Jesus sent him out two by two, but when you go two by two, when Jesus is, you know, picking out the disciples, you know, John can be like, man, not Peter. Can I, can I get another one? You know what I'm saying? And John is silent, but John is with Peter. You know, a lot of times uh, when we go through trials and tests, it's easy to like give, you know, let me, let me give you advice or let me, let me, and a lot of times it, we just need to be silent. We need to just be with 
that person who's going through a hard time. We just need to sit inside their tears, right? And don't say a word, just sit with them. You might just hold them. You might just be, just be there with them like John. You don't have to say anything. All you got to do is sit. And so that's what John does. John, John is with Peter. And, and Peter could be like, Lord, where are you? And then Peter sees John next to him. And Peter says, like, okay, I'm not alone. And then Peter also knows that he has the Holy Spirit. And my last and final observation is this, because I'm going to take more time on this one. The good news of the gospel is this, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So in biblical times, the cornerstone, it was the foundational stone. It was the, the first stone that was laid, and, and it became the reference point for all other stones that was laid after it. It was like a measuring stone. You know, you, you put the cornerstone and figure out how we're going to uh, uh, construct this building. And so all other stones conform to it. And, and, and the Old Testament uh, prophets prophesied that the Messiah would be the cornerstone. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And so when, when Peter says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, Peter is, is hearkening back to Isaiah chapter 28, the prophecy that the Messiah would be the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Peter is also hearkening back to Psalm 118, verse 22. So in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, uh, and, and, and in, the, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus said that these prophecies find their fulfillment in him. He was rejected and abandoned by the religious leaders, and Jesus' message was also rejected by the religious leaders. The gospel message is a stone of offense to many people. It's offensive. Isaiah the prophet prophesied in Isaiah 8.14, and he will become a sanctuary and stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both the house of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. If you really think about it, the gospel is offensive. I mean, look at uh, the end of this, this passage in Acts chapter 4, I believe in verse 12. And this is what Peter says. Peter says, you know, Jesus is the stone that was re rejected. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. On this point, I'm going to talk to to the non-Christians in the room and also to the Christians. For the non-Christians, the gospel is offensive. The bad news, and, and we see this as, as, as Peter preaches to uh, the religious leaders. Peter says, and, 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 and Pastor Mike talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said, you killed Jesus. That's offensive. Peter said to this, he said this to the crowd in Acts 3, and then he said it to the religious leaders in Acts 4. And in Acts 3, Peter called the crowd to repentance. Now, repentance is basically to love what you once hated and to hate what you once loved. That's what repentance is. And so um, to the non-Christians in the room, we, we must confess 
that we think the gospel is offensive. We must confess that we don't like this exclusive, uh, narrow, intolerant, um, you know, trust Jesus. What about the other religions? We, we need to confess that we don't like what Jesus has to offer before we can see what it really is. We must confess that we don't like the exclusive claims of Jesus. We don't like the intolerance of Christian salvation. Uh, Peter says salvation in no other name. We don't like that God condemns us for our sins and the sins of those we don't know, Adam and Eve. We, we must confess that we don't like our freedoms being restricted, that we don't like the Bible and its patriarchal language, that we don't like the church and its hypocrisy, that we don't like a God who allows suffering and because you cannot see the good news until you see the bad news. You can't repent, you can't love something that you once hate and hate something you, you once loved and, and, unless you can say, you know what, I really hate this, I don't like this. And so for the non-Christian in the room, I, I, I want to say, if, you're gonna, if you want to really see what the good news, really look at the bad news. And for the Christians, sufferings and trials can make us feel abandoned by God. And this really can go for both non-Christians and Christians. We feel like God is rejecting us. We feel unwanted and unloved and undesirable. What do you do when you feel unwanted and unloved? You grab a hold of anything or anyone that will show you the least bit of love, even if they mistreat you or take advantage of you. At least you know that you're being loved. Have you ever been so ashamed that you thought that God could never love you or want you around? Have you ever thought, God, I know that you love me, but do you like me? Am I desirable to you? Am I beautiful? And, and the answer is yes. You are love, you are wanted, you are beautiful and desirable. You do have a place in the kingdom of God. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you no matter how hard it gets, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how long it takes for you to see yourself as God sees you. You know, sometimes it takes a lifetime to know that you are loved. Even for, for those of us who are married in the room, yeah, we, we say I do on that day, but it takes a long time to really understand what we were saying I do to. Can I get a witness? It takes many trials and tests to prove to you that God's salvation is for real. Every child of God must be tested because every child of God needs to know that Jesus loves you in your suffering in the midnight hour, in the, in the sleepless nights, in the panic attacks, in the reoccurring nightmares, in the loss of a job, in the divorce, in the losing of a child, in the church member that leaves, in the dreams that die, in the depression, in the chronic illness, in the arrest, in the low-paying job, in the stressful family relationships, in the breakup, in the deep pain where you feel trauma and death. The lame, beg the lame beggar must know the gaze of Jesus before he can understand the love of Jesus. The lame beggar must know the healing power of Jesus before he can grasp the transforming grace of Jesus. Jesus walked in our shoes. Jesus can tell you of a love that never gives up, 
a love that never abandons or leaves you because the father loved his son so much that he did not abandon him into Hades. Jesus went to hell so that we don't have to go there. Amen? And, and Acts 2 and, and verse 25 through 28, uh, uh, the writer quotes that, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You know, when we think about the gospel, a lot of times we think about what Jesus has done for us, and, and it is good. A part of the, the gospel message is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. God the Father loved the world so much that God sent his son. And God the Father did not abandon his son to Hades when his son uh, uh, took on all the sins of the world. When, when, when the son endured the wrath of God, God the Father did not abandon his son. Therefore, God has proven that he will never abandon his children because God the Father didn't abandon Jesus. If God the Father abandoned Jesus, Jesus would be in hell right now. But thanks be to God, the, the, the Father who loves his son so much, that the Father says, I'm going to do this because I'm going to save so many people. And the Bible says, who for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the Father's wrath because Jesus knew that he is a loving Father. Jesus knew that his father will not abandon. Jesus bore the wrath of God in his body. He embodied everything that God the Father hates so that we might become children of God. Jesus was forsaken for a moment so that we would not be forsaken for eternity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you are a God who knows exactly what we're going through. Father, you, you are a God, Jesus, you are a God who, who went to Hades. Uh, a lot of us are living right now. We're not in hell, even though it might seem like we're in hell. But so, uh, God, you experienced something uh, that we have, have never experienced up to this point. And yet... You, you beckon people to come and trust. You beckon people uh, to, to believe. You beckon people to repent because you love us so much. And I pray that we would see the love of God that never leaves, that never abandons. Lord, if there's, uh, if there's someone in this room who's facing tests and trials, and I know that most of us in this room are, I pray that you would remind us that if, if, if you never abandon Jesus, that you will never abandon your, your son or your daughter. And, and Father, I pray that if there is a, a someone in this room that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that you would show them the love that Betty knew, the love that restores, the love that says, even in the hard times, you are my favorite. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.